But uh, today I just want to actually pick up with where we left off last week uh, in talking about God's mercy. Last week we looked at the, the greatest display or the greatest act of God's mercy towards us. Uh, his mercy at its fullest measure. That is, at a time when we were dead spiritually, completely helpless, uh, a time when we were following our own passions, we were just going along and following the course of the world, at a time when we were, you know, our, Satan was our father. It says in Ephesians 2 that we were sons of disobedience, we were children of wrath. And like a dead body or a corpse that's thrown overboard at sea, we could do nothing to save ourselves, nothing at all. That is when God stepped in and miraculously, supernaturally made us alive together with Christ, with Christ. He, God emptied all his accounts as we looked at. He emptied it all, every last penny. He gave up his eternal son. He sacrificed this unbroken, eternal union of the Trinity in order to make you and I alive together with Christ because it was the only way, the only way. By grace, we have been saved. And so today, what I want to look at is how do we respond to this? What is the appropriate response that is in light of this incredible mercy, this, this mercy of infinite measure that God has shown towards us? What now? What's the appropriate response in return? And I think that's a good question for us to ask. In fact, we actually kind of ask ourselves that question pretty frequently anytime that someone does something nice for us, right? I mean, if they help us when we're in a time of need, uh, pay for our meal, give us a gift, right? We ask ourselves, okay, how do, I, how do I say thank you to them? Is just a simple thank you enough? Is that the right way in this situation to, to say thank you? Or, you know, should I write them a thank you card? But then we think, well, I don't know, that seems a little bit weird. I never know what to write, can't put my thoughts together well. So let me do, maybe I should get him a gift card. Then you start to think, well, to what? And how much? And, you know, I don't know where they shop. I don't know where they eat. And so we start to think, you know, maybe I should get a, just a small gift, a token of, or maybe I should just have a follow-up email and say thank you. But we, we go through these things a lot of times because we want to make sure that we say thank you the right way. We have the right response when people do nice things for us. But if that's true, if that's true, and we put this much thought into saying thank you when another person does something nice to us, how much more should we consider and put thought into how are we responding to God's mercy towards us, to the nice things that he does for us? to his infinite mercy, because when you think about it, as we talked last week, he took away an eternity of punishment. And in its place, he gave to us his own spirit to live inside us and an eternity of riches in heaven. So it's important how we respond. It's important how I respond to that. You know, it's just a simple thank you fine, and that's it. Just continue to go on about my life as normal. 
Or is, is that enough? Or does that come across as ungrateful? Because we have those thoughts play in our heads, even with other people. How much more we ought to really consider this? It's a good question to ask. And f- fortunately, the Apostle Paul writes down the answer to this specific question in Romans 12. So if you have your Bibles, if you can open up uh, to Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand um, and the ushers will come by and, and bring it. But that's what we're going to be looking at is Romans chapter 12 uh, and starting in verse 1. So here the Apostle Paul, he gives us the, the answer to this specific question. How do we respond to the infinite mercies of God? And this is what he says in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So he answers the question of how to respond to the infinite mercies of God. And he doesn't just say, well, you know, here, here's something you could do. Here's, here's one option. No, he says, it's this. This is it. At the very least, I plead with you, do this. Or I appeal to you. That's what it says in the ESV. If you have a, a different version, it might say um, something different, a word it a little differently. Actually, if you do have a different version, the ESV, you certainly almost um, have a different wording for that first part. Uh, because it was kind of interesting as I was preparing and, and looking at this verse carefully and looking at the words, something caught my eye. I thought it was pretty interesting. The NIV says, I urge you. The New Living Bible says, I plead with you. The English Standard Bible says, I appeal to you. The Berean Literal Bible says, I exhort you. The King James says, I beseech you. The Contemporary English says, I beg you. And Young's Literal says, I call upon you. That's pretty crazy. I mean, that's, you don't usually come across that. Yeah, sure, you have different Bibles, different translations, and some wordings will be different. But seven different ways to say just, just a few words, three or four words. And it's not even a complex thought. It's just a simple request. And here you have all these different ways. Urge, plead, appeal, exhort, beseech, call upon. That's pretty interesting. And it actually, it got me thinking as I started to, to think about this. You know, what if... Just imagine for a second, what if the Apostle Paul was up here giving this message this morning instead of me? Just for a moment, imagine. I mean, a huge upgrade, I realize, but just imagine <laughs> the Apostle Paul is here. He's giving this message. Um, you know, of course, on the one hand, we're always or, or frequently blessed with the great English Paul, who comes up here and shares often, Paul Jeffries. But what if we got the opportunity this morning to hear the Apostle Paul speak to us directly and on this same topic. My guess is, is that if, if he was, the Apostle Paul standing up here today, giving this message, through the course of his talk, just naturally, he would probably use all these different wordings that you see in these different translations from the original of what he wrote. All of them. I think that he would, in his his mess, he would completely exhaust his vocabulary and say, I beg you, Whitestone, 
I urge you, I appeal to you, I plead with you. By the mercies of God, in light of his mercies, in light of all that he has done for you and sacrificed for you and given to you freely, offer your life back to him as a thank you. Don't just take all these amazing gifts that he has given and just kind of sit back and and coast through life. No, live the kind of life that says back to him very loudly, thank you, thank you. I mean, notice that this is an appeal based on the mercies of God. It's very, it's, he says, by the mercies of God, because when you think about it, how could God, when you think about those mercies, how could God possibly have sacrificed or given anything more? He couldn't. Literally, he couldn't. The person of Jesus Christ is of infinite worth. And you cannot give anything that exceeds infinite. He gave it all when he gave Christ. And Christ himself, think about what he gave and sacrificed. He gave up his home in heaven. He gave up his throne. He gave up the worship of angels and saints around him continually. He gave up the appearance of his divinity. He gave up all the luxuries and the conveniences of being God in heaven in order to come down to this earth. And even when he came to this earth, how did he come? As a fetus inside of Mary, an unborn baby where he stayed for nine months until he was born in Bethlehem. And even then, he was born into a poor family, a very poor family. Poor and completely unknown for three decades. That's how Jesus lived on this earth. And even later, during his ministry, when he finally entered into his ministry, he remained poor. It says in Matthew 8, 20, foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, no regular place. He essentially became a nobody, the God of the universe. And even when his fame started to grow, as he began his ministry, did the miracles and the teaching, his fame started to grow right away immediately. People slandered and hated and attacked and rejected him, and he had a constant target on his back. And what made things even more Amazing and more of a sacrifice on his part is that he knew how it was all going to end. I mean, really, just pause for one moment to think about this reality. Imagine right now knowing for sure, knowing for sure that your life will one day end just like his, just like him. The same events, betrayal, from someone close to you, flogging, torture, shame, crucifixion. I mean, how would that affect you? Imagine carrying that for years. Or imagine people in a small town having prior knowledge of brutal attacks, of torture and barbarism being planned against them on a specific day. How many do you think would stay there? How many do you think would remain? None. 
Not a one would stick around. But here we have a Savior. You and I have a Savior who not only stuck around, he actually walked toward Jerusalem at the time when he knew these exact events and these attacks were going to be carried out against him. It says in Matthew 20, verses 17 and 19, And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Jesus knew. He knew what was coming. And he had a human body that feels pain just like you and I. No different. But still, Christ was willing to walk himself right into the hands of persecution, of torture, and of a death of excruciating, hellish, unimaginable pain for us. For us. That's why we have this appeal in Romans 12.1. That's why the, the appeal, the pleading, it's in light of this fact, the G, of all that Jesus sacrificed, all that he went through for us. What is our response? What are you and I giving back to him in light of these mercies? And it says, basically, here's the right response. Consider his mercies and present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Which is a great word picture, because in those days, this is something they could all relate to. They were familiar with how there was a daily sacrifice at the temple. Every day, a, another body of an animal was put on the altar and sacrificed. So in the same way, Every day, we should present our bodies to serve Christ. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. It's kind of like, in a very much smaller sense, like being a dad. It's a stretch, I know, but it's kind of like what we as dads are expected to do, to present our physical body to our kids as a sacrifice, or for sacrifice for them. Um, I'm sure a lot of you dads can relate. My oldest daughter very frequently will just come and jump on my back, unannounced, without warning. Or she'll say, she'll come and approach for a hug, which is very sweet, but then she dead hangs from my neck for, you know, <laughs> not, not quite comfortable. Um, my son Ovidus, most days, he wants to play catch. He wants to go outside, whether football, lot recently, but, or baseball, most of the time, he hits, I run around, get the ball, try and chase him, tag him out. My daughter, Elsie, she wants me to be a horse. So, you know, either for her to jump on and, and ride, or else to tie something around my neck and pull me. <laughs> and my youngest son, Jaira, is all those things I've already mentioned, and he's one year old, uh, and a hundred other fun activities. And since he quite frequently doesn't fall asleep till after 10. It's, it's a marathon event. But all of you parents know what this is like. This is not at all unique to me. You parents know that we regularly are asked, in a sense, to offer our bodies in sacrifice for our kids, whether it's uh, the work we do on their behalf or the play that we engage in with them. Is it worth it? 
Definitely, there's no question. But if it is worth it, if that's true, if the joy on my kid's face is worth it, and knowing how much it means to them, isn't Christ worth it? I mean, hasn't he done enough for us? Hasn't he earned that kind of attention from us? Shouldn't we be willing to make physical sacrifices for him? To lay aside physical comforts? To be happy? You know, to get a scratch or two? To be a little uncomfortable? To sweat a little? To get up a little early? To stay up late? To go somewhere we're not used to? To put ourselves in an uncomfortable situation just for him? For no other reason than because it honors him? and knowing that it pleases him and how much it means to him because of what he did for me, because of the infinite mercy he has shown. And yet, unfortunately, how often, how often we pass on such an opportunity to sacrifice our own comfort and not serve him in some way because, you know, I don't know, uh, I'd rather just stay home tonight and watch a movie or something like that. So easily we go towards comfort. But he's calling us to offer ourselves to him, to do something with our physical capacity every day simply because it honors him. But there's something else in this verse that I, I don't want to miss, and it's the next part, Romans 12, verse 1. It says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy. Part of presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice is living holy. That is acceptable and well-pleasing to him. And for most of us, that's actually the harder part of the two, between these two. Um, Harder than the physical sacrifices. Because for some of us, we do. We, we don't have too much of an issue. Maybe we, we, off, we volunteer here at the church very often or, or weekly. Or maybe you're good at serving your family. Maybe, uh, you know, you host missionaries. You, you give gifts to those in need. You help your neighbors. You're involved in a small group. And all this is excellent. It is. But the problem is, is when we say to ourselves, there, there, I'm active I'm making some sacrifices. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. Right? That's what it's all about. Well, that's part of it. The other part is what it is saying here, is to live holy and acceptable to God. It's talking about what's going on inside, what we are doing inside as much as what we are doing on the outside of our, our body. And it reminds me of the word pneuma. Pneuma is a Greek word, and it means spirit. So it's often used when reference to the Holy Spirit. But it can also mean wind or breath, just based on the context. So wind and breath and spirit, all things you cannot see, but they're hard to miss. So for a minute, just imagine. Imagine that you have a friend 
that invites you for a day out on their sailboat, out on Lake Michigan, let's say. And, you know, it's an old model of a sailboat, but it's been completely uh, restored. And you've never done anything like this before, so you're really excited. So you take off work, you clear your schedule, you, you know, you get up early in the morning, and your friend is there, the sailboat is really nice, and so you climb on. But there's no wind. None at all. I mean, complete dead calm. How much fun are you going to have that day? The boat's there. It's a very nice one. It's ready to go. But nothing will happen. You need the wind. Or imagine this. Imagine that you are going to attend a conference on a topic that really, really interests you. And so you read up on the speaker, and I mean, this speaker knows their stuff. Very educated, uh, lifetime of experience, a lot of success, wrote a number of books, sold millions of copies, started their own company. So you go to this conference, you're excited, you sit down, you grab your notepad, your pen, and you're ready. And then the speaker is introduced to this very loud applause. But right as he opens his mouth, you can't hear anything. You see the lips move, but you can't hear anything. He suddenly lost his voice. Not only that, but you can tell he's actually having trouble breathing. And so he's taken away off stage and looked at, and eventually the conference is canceled. Again, the speaker's there, very qualified, educated, accomplished, but no speech is actually given. Without breath, it is impossible. But this is, this is us sometimes. We think that as long as everything on the outside looks very good, we got it all in order, and it, you know, we're very active, we're going here, we're going there, we're doing things for God. We don't realize that if we aren't living holy, that if it doesn't start on the inside, then this, all these actions and all this serving God has no real power behind it. No power, no effectiveness. Do you remember what God said to Zerubbabel whenever he came back from Babylon? They were rebuilding the temple. In Zechariah 4, 6, he says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Things only get done and accomplished in God's work, in God's kingdom, with his help. Only God can help us to bear fruit for him and make real change in this world. Apart from him, it doesn't happen. It's his spirit. And the same thing, 500 years later, from the time that Zechariah was written to about the time when Jesus speaks this in John 15, 4 and 5, you see the same thing. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from him, you and I can do nothing to bear fruit, to really accomplish and produce from our life 
that which is valuable and useful to, to Christ's kingdom. It's your relationship with God that gives power to your service to God. So without living holy, yeah, your life may look very good. It certainly might on the outside, like a very nice, you know, uh, sailboat restored or a a very world-renowned featured speaker. But it will produce very little for Christ's kingdom. So the question is right now, is your life holy? How is your relationship with God right now at this moment? Is it producing a life that he would call holy and well-pleasing to him since he sees directly inside us? Do you spend time, just you and God, daily? Are you meditating on his word, just enjoying the scriptures regularly? seeking to understand it? Do you talk with him throughout the day, involving him in what you do? Do you pray for your family? Are you patient and understanding with them, with your family, with with your children, with those around you? Do you keep yourself pure? Do you only allow God-honoring content inside your home? These are the kind of things that it's getting at when we are being called to live holy as a part of being a sacrifice, giving our lives as a sacrifice to Christ. Because this is what brings actual power to the Christian life, like wind in a sailboat and like breath to a speaker. And then the verse ends with these words, which is your spiritual worship, which is your spiritual worship. And I love this part of the verse because it's as if God is kind of correcting us on what worship really is to him. Because today, we kind of have narrowed it down, the meaning of the word worship, basically to just singing from the heart to God. Songs. Songs that are a little bit slower paced, right? Praise is upbeat, worship is slow, with a little bit better lyrics, (laughs) more reflective. But That's kind of what we isolate the meaning of worship to, is just that, which is good. And it is worship, but God says it's more than that. It involves more. It's these things that I'm writing to you in Romans 12, verse 1, offering your body as a living sacrifice, living holy and pleasing to me. These two things, this is your spiritual worship to me. That's what I consider worship. If you remember, not too long ago, the English Paul, Paul Jeffries, he mentioned in one of his messages how there's, we're all familiar with at a wedding, the vows, what's that line with this ring, I thee wed. But he mentioned how traditionally, and if you go back a few hundred years, there's actually another part right after that, a second part, which is left out nowadays entirely. And the second part is this, And with this body, I thee worship. In other words, with this body, I will serve you. In fact, I looked it up, and there's actually a third part. Here's the third part. And with all my worldly goods, I thee endow. With all my worldly goods, I thee endow. In other words, you're saying, with this ring, 
I officially belong to you. And therefore, I will serve you with my body and share with you everything that I possess. For some reason, it was only said by the groom. And I don't understand how the bride got out of that. But tradition, I guess, has, has, start, has changed a little bit. But again, it shows that the word worship has always implied something physical being done. That's why it says in Romans 12 that by offering your physical bodies as a sacrifice, that's, that's worship. That's true worship. You see it in Matthew 2.11 as well. The wise men fell down before Jesus and worshiped him. That's a physical act, falling down before him. Math, same thing, Matthew 28.9. After Jesus rose from the dead, the ladies fell down at his feet and worshiped him, it says. Another physical act, falling down. So truly, truly worshiping God is really anything that you do with your body to serve God. So yes, your mouth, when you sing to him songs from your heart, absolutely, but also with your hands, with your feet, with your mind, with your energy, all of it. It's, it's anything that you do in order to say to God, you are worthy. You're worthy to me of this. So this is just what I wanted to leave basically as, as a challenge for all of us this morning. That in light of or in view of considering the infinite mercies of God, his infinite sacrifice for us, giving up everything to make us alive together with Christ as a thank you back to him for all his mercies, we should consider how should I respond? How am I responding right now? Am I using this body he's given to me to serve him, to make sacrifices in order to, to live for him as a living sacrifice? Am I willing? Am I actually willing to pursue a holier life, a life of holiness that is acceptable to him, time with him every day, no distractions? Just, you know, happy to be at his feet. Or are we even putting any thought into this? Are we just, you know what, a simple thank you to God once in a while, I'm sure that's enough. As it says in Romans 12, essentially, don't do that. Consider all the mercy that he has shown to you and offer to him both a holy life on the inside and a living sacrifice, physical service on the outside. Every day, this is what we can offer because this is what God calls true spiritual worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, when we begin to contemplate and think about all that you have done for us. Our mind can't even go that far. It, it is on both sides, what we've been forgiven of and what we have been given freely, even what we have right now 
in the indwelling of your spirit, the comfort, the encouragement, the illuminating, the, your word, all these gifts and mercies, even in this present life, not even to consider all eternity. Lord, it is so much. It is so worthy of us responding in a way of giving to you each day this body you've given us to serve you each day to spend time and to let you transform us from the inside and to make us holy. Lord, help us to consider how important it is that we say thank you with our life for all that you have done. Please open our eyes. Please stir our hearts. Please communicate to us through your spirit. Bring to our, the forefront of our attention how much how wonderful, how multifaceted the mercies are that you give. And may you compel us because it's not just that you are worthy of this, but this is the life of joy and of meaning and of fulfillment is living for you. Lord, we thank you for your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. If you need and would like prayer, uh, someone to pray with you, uh, Suzanne in, and Tom are, are both here in the front. Uh, they would love to pray with you. Have a wonderful day, wonderful week.